31st episode of the podcast F4. We're calling it that since it's easier to say than food and frightening film fanatics. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer. Heavy spoilers ahead. Turn back now if you haven't seen these movies. This week we're talking about the I Spit on Your Grave franchise. There are five films total in the series. And besides the usual warning, here's another one. These are rape revenge films. They are very rough to watch and talk about. I'm not going to go into minute detail, but even the generalities are off-putting. So trigger warning, feel free to leave now if you need to. Also, the views expressed here are only my own. I cannot comment on anyone else's experiences. So, on to the movies. In the order in which they were released, they are the first one, which was called I Spit on Your Grave from 1978. Written, directed, and produced by Mir Zarki. Also produced by Joseph Sabeta, starring Camille Keaton as Jennifer Hill, Aaron Tabor as Johnny, Richard Pace as Matthew, Anthony Nichols as Stanley, and Gunther Kleeman as Andy. Produced by Cone Magic Pictures and distributed by Jerry Gross Organization. The second one is a remake of the first and again was named I Spit on Your Grave. It's from 2010, so 32 years later. It's directed by Stephen R. Monroe. Executive producer is Mir Zarki. Produced by Lisa M. Hansen and Paul Hertzberg. Screenplay by Stuart Morse. Starring Sarah Butler as Jennifer Hill, Jeff Branson, Daniel Franzese, Rodney Eastman, Chad Lindbergh, Tracy Walter, and Andrew Howard. The third one is called I Spit on Your Grave 2. It's from 2013, so three years later. Directed again by Stephen R. Monroe. Executive produced again by Mir Zarki. And you'll see Mirazaki's listed as the executive producer on everything going forward. Produced again by Lisa uh, Hansen and Paul Hersberg. Written by Thomas Fitton and Neil Elman. Starring Gemma Dallander as the main character. And a bunch of guys with some Russian names or um, what is it? Uh, Bulgarian names that I'm going to me- mess up. So uh, Yaver. Let me just spell it. B-A-H-A-R-O-V, Baharov, Joe Abelson, and Alexander Alexiev. So I'm sorry, I know that's not correct. Um, the fourth one is I Spit on Your Grave 3, Vengeance is Mine from 2015. So two years later, Directed by R.D. Bronstein, executive produced again by Mirzarki, produced again by Lisa Hansen and Paul Hersberg, written by Daniel Gilboy, starring again Sarah Butler, and also starring Jennifer Landon, Doug McKean, Gabrielle Holden, or Gabriel Holden, Harley Jane um, Kozak, and Michelle Hurd. Uh, and I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu, so 2019, 
So this is actually a sequel to the 1978 original. So 41 years after the original movie came out. And written, directed, and produced again by Mil Zarki. Uh, produced by his son Zary, Terry Zarki. And Jan O'Connell starring again Camille Keaton, Jamie Bernadette, and Maria Olson. Where to find these movies? Amazon has all of the movies, uh, but only the remake 2 and 3 are free for members. The rest, I think, are $4 each. Voodoo has all of the movies, with the remake 2 and 3 also being free. YouTube has them for $4 each. iTunes has them for $6 each. They're not on Netflix or Hulu or Tubi or Shutter. Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the original from 1978, critics gave it a 53, audiences gave it a 40, and this is the highest rating of any movie that the critics will give. I Spit on Your Grave, the remake from 2010, critics gave it a 32, audiences gave it a 47. This is the highest rating from audiences throughout the series. Then there's I Spit on Your Grave 2, critics gave it a 0, audiences gave it a 30, I Spit on Your Grave 3. Not rated by critics, audiences gave it 27, and I Spit on Your Grave Deja Vu. Uh, not rated by critics, audiences gave it an 18%. The plot. The original movie, I Spit on Your Grave from 1978. Um, I will read the IMDb synopsis first and then just my notes on the plot. So, a New York City writer, Jennifer Hill, retires to a secluded cabin in the woods to write her first novel. While there, she is brutally raped by four country boys. Surviving the assault, she carefully plots and executes horrific bloody revenge against her attackers. So, the plot of all these movies is pretty straightforward. Um, it is basically in three acts. So, the rape, then... The main character regroups and then revenge. So that's the same through all of these movies. Um, let me just say that there are multiple rape scenes in these movies, not just one. So don't think if you got past the first one that you're home free. There are several. Um, and in the original, after they rape her multiple times, they send uh, Matthew, who is a developmentally challenged character, back into the house to kill the woman with a knife, but he can't do it. And instead, he takes some of her blood from her face, wipes it on the knife, and then tells the others that he's killed her. So Jennifer stays at the cabin that she's rented and regroups uh, because the men don't want to be seen as suspects, so they stay away from the cabin until they finally go back and find her sitting outside in the yard so they know she's not dead. Um, and then after she regroups, she goes to a church and she prays for forgiveness for what she's about to do. And you can see that her, um, her clothing has changed. At that point, she's wearing all black clothing. Um, and then later, when she seduces one of the men, she's wearing this long white thing. Um, so the 
revenge scenes are uh, one guy's hung from a tree. Uh, one guy has his junk cut off in the tub and is left to bleed out and die. One guy gets an axe to the back. And one is sliced by a boat motor because she's in the boat, he's in the water, and apparently he's stupid, too stupid to figure out he shouldn't grab onto the motor while he's talking to her, and then he's chopped up and he dies. So that's how all four of them die. Um, I'm all for her seeking revenge, especially after the horrible things that happened to her, but I do have a problem with her. I don't know if a problem is the right word or not. An issue with her having sex with two of the guys to get them in pro compromising positions before she kills them. Uh, I'm not sure after what happened to her that's realistic, but uh, to me that was just like, uh, I don't think so. Um, I'm also not sure about her offing a mentally challenged person. Um, he wouldn't have done anything, I don't think, if the other guys had not peer pressured him into it. So, uh, I, I'll say this later too, but in all of these movies, there seems to be someone who is uh, developmentally challenged, and I don't know why they keep putting them in these movies. Um... And using the character in that way. Because to me it doesn't work. But anyway, that's basically what happened in the first movie. And also I have a clip of uh, the trailer for I Spit on Your Grave from 1978. So here it is. Take off your clothes. I don't like women giving me orders. I spit on your grave. What you are about to see did happen. on your grave. This woman will soon cut, chop, break, and burn five men beyond recognition. And there isn't a jury in this country that will convict her. I'll give you something to remember for the rest of your life. I spit on your grave. Relax. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll make you feel like you've never felt before. God bless your hands. Wait till you feel this. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. No. No, not I spit on your grave. You scared to death, I... What do you want? It's you I want.
grave. So I Spit on Your Grave, the remake, IMDb says, a woman is brutally raped, survives, and takes the law into her own hands by seeking revenge. Um, now this is basically the same movie as the original, plus a few changes and then an update, so it's current with the times. So Jennifer here has a laptop, she has a cell phone, but when she goes to stay in the cabin, she almost immediately drops her cell phone down the toilet and then it's wet and it won't work anymore. So that's how we get around the fact that uh, I'm sure many people, including me, would say, why not call for help? Um, so that's one of the changes. Here also, this time we have five guys because on the movie, the original movie poster from 1978, they say there are five men, but actually in that movie, there are only four. So this time around, there are five guys so we have uh, another mentally challenged guy, a guy recording the events with a camcorder, the ringleader of the group, and then another guy. And then we'll talk about the fifth guy in one second. So they attack her in a rented cabin. She escapes and runs into the woods, and there she finds a sheriff hunting with his buddy. He takes her back to the cabin to confront the men because he says he's known them since they were very young. But it should probably come as no surprise. He is actually much worse than the rest of them. So they rape her multiple times. And at uh, one point, the sheriff takes a call from his little girl while they're raping Jennifer, which is really despicable. Um, it seems that he loves his wife and daughter, but he views Jennifer as less than human. I'm not sure how the psychology of this works, and I don't even know why I try to figure it out, but um, I just don't know how you can do that to someone, and then, um, yeah. Anyhow, um, so Jennifer's badly beaten and tortured, and it's obvious that they're going to kill her so that they don't leave any witnesses. The acts against her are so brutal that we definitely sympathize with her. And eventually Jennifer goes outside where she's raped anally by the sheriff. And then she eventually gets up and staggers away and then falls backwards off a railroad bridge into the water. And then they start looking for her um, along the bank, but they never find her body. So they presume that she has drowned. Time passes, and life goes on for them, and no one seems to come looking for her, or at least there's no mention of it. Um, then the men start to get reminders of her, like a flip-flop outside a door, uh, things like that, and then we're not sure if it's her ghost. If you hadn't seen the original movie, we're not sure if it's her ghost, or if one of the guys is doing this to the other guys, um, or what. We also find out that the guy with the camcorder, while the sheriff originally thought that he had destroyed the original tape, he didn't. The guy, that was just a blank tape, and the guy has another tape. These people are not very smart, obviously. Um, but it turns out that it's actually Jennifer who has survived somewhere. We don't know where. Um, and recuperated. We don't know what period of time has passed. But she starts killing each man in a manner similar to how they tortured her. So the guy with the video camera is tied to a tree, has fish hooks uh, inserted into his eyelids to hold him up. She smears him with fish guts. Uh, 
and then the crows come and peck his eyes out. So that's a bad way to go. Uh, the ringleader is tied up um, in an old abandoned house that's nearby. He has his teeth pulled out because he was always doing this weird thing about calling her like a show pony and show him her teeth. I'm not sure what that was about. Um, but he also has his junk removed. Um, so that's how he dies. Another guy dies um, when he is over uh, tied up and on a couple of two-by-fours over a tub in which she pours um, lye into it. So he has his face removed, um, and he tries to hold himself up, and then she removes another one of the two-by-fours, and that's the end of him. But the worst fate is reserved, uh, if you can grade such things, for the sheriff who... Um, she corners him at the old house. She shoves a shotgun up his rectum. Um, then she takes a string and ties the trigger to Matthew's hand. So Matthew had been knocked out. He's sitting across a room in a chair, passed out. So if he wakes up and moves his hand, they're both dead. And sure enough, you know what happens next. She walks outside. She hears the gun go off. And yes... The gun has shot him through the rectum, through the front of his head, the sheriff, through the front of his head into Matthew. Uh, again, I don't, uh, I know this is a remake, but um, I'm just not sure about the adding the men mentally challenged character. Um, next up, I spit on your grave too. IMDB says, from the director of the critically acclaimed 2010 remake, this shocking new installment follows a brutalized model who survives to exact her revenge. So a woman that's trying to get into modeling or has done some modeling goes to a cheap photo shoot because she doesn't have enough money to pay for, a, you know, an expensive one. And later, a guy who seems shy at the photo shoot, um, the brother of the photographer, breaks into her apartment, uh, brutally attacks her, and rapes her, and he also kills... A maintenance guy who comes and tries to help her and the next thing we know she wakes up and she is in Bulgaria so she was drugged with I think ketamine ketamine and stuffed in a box for the trip and they sell her out to anyone who is willing to pay uh, to have sex with her so she escapes and goes to the police and a woman arrives who says she will take her to the American Embassy but nope, should come as no surprise. She's not getting away that easy. That woman is the mother of the first guy who raped her. So another guy comes to rape her and abuse her with an, I think it's an electric like prod. Uh, it's not a stun gun, but it's some sort of electric thing. And he severely abuses her, including um, taking that to her genitals. So that was pretty hard to watch. Um, then those guys, those three guys dig a hole. Uh, well, one guy beats her to a pulp. Um, then she seems to be near death. They dig a hole in the basement. They put her back in the box and they bury her and leave her for dead. And we think maybe this is the end of the movie, but nope. 
So somehow the box ends up connected to an extensive underground sewer system. And so she falls through to that. And she's in really bad shape. And she stays down there for a long time. She eats rats. Um, she finds a lighter. She finds some old garbage and stuff that's thrown down there. And then she finds out at some point she's underneath the church. Um, so she breaks into the church um, where the priest is living there, steals some of his food, and he eventually starts giving her food and leaving uh, food for her. And he wants to try to help her, but he knows something bad has happened. So the same thing as in the other movies, she seeks her revenge upon these guys one at a time. So she offs all three of them uh, in various uh, pretty disgusting ways. And then she also uh, takes the mother and puts her in a box and puts the lid on it. Now, the cop where she eventually went um, the first time around goes into the sewer system and eventually confronts her. And like I said, there's heavy spoilers. So uh, the good news is she gets out. He lets her go or she just leaves. I don't know which one. And then he's left there with the woman in the box and the other three guys are dead. And then she goes, walks towards the American embassy. So we assume she's going to go there and try to get back to the U.S. So all in all, I thought that was a pretty good movie. Um, doesn't seem like many people like it, but I thought it was, it was pretty good. It was right up there with the remake. Next up, I Spit on Your Grave 3, Vengeance is, my, is Mine. From 2015, IMDb says... The Savage Revenge series resumes with even more depravity. A young woman seeks ruthless, sadistic revenge against the abusers and rapists of her fellow crisis support members. So Jennifer's moved to an undisclosed city, and now she's going by the name Angela. And she's very angry, which is justified given all her previous experiences. And she attends a group therapy session, like, like we just said, for sexual assault survivors. And there she meets a woman named, uh, what is it, Marla? It's either Marla or Maria, who encourages her to get some of her anger out by attacking men. And they seek revenge against a girl, a girl's father from the group because he has been molesting her and still is molesting her. Um... So they scare him into leaving her alone, they think, at least for a little while. Then Maria is killed by an abusive boyfriend off screen, which is very strange. Uh, it's a strange choice for the movie. We don't see it. Um, so I'm not sure if they ran out of time or money or the actress left or what. But to me, that seemed a very strange choice. Um, so Jennifer goes after the boyfriend after he... There's not an evidence, enough ex evidence to convict him of the woman's murder. So she offs him in a pretty bloody scene. Then she starts attacking a number of other random men. And then she finds out that the stepfather is uh, molesting the daughter again. So this time, she lures him to an abandoned, I don't know, warehouse, storefront, something. She shoves a metal pipe up his ass, and then she seals the deal by hitting it with a sledgehammer. So, that's pretty rough. Now, 
Throughout the movie, we've seen Jennifer talking intermittently to her therapist, and in the final scene, it's revealed that she's in a prison jumpsuit. So this is where it screws up with the timeline. Has everything that we've seen been a fantasy of Jennifer's? Or did she go to jail after attacking the boyfriend and the stepfather and the other guys? Um, I have no idea what is true and what's not in this movie. Um, this movie I didn't enjoy by the end. It had potential in the beginning, but she really just turned into some sort of a caricature that was killing, you know, just anyone within range. So I think that the movie um, went off the rails at some point. Uh, the last movie, I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu from 2019, IMDb says, Some grudges refuse to be buried. Mirzarki's much-anticipated film is the official sequel to his 1978 classic, reuniting him with actress Camille Keaton, who reprises her iconic role as Jennifer Hills after four decades. So let me just say off the bat, the acting in this movie is horrible. Um, I was ashamed for these actors, and I hesitate to call them actors because I'm not sure these people are trained actors. I think they might have just been like, crew or uh, people that just wandered by or something uh, that's how bad this movie is it seems like a film school project um, it's just bad uh, I mean it's beyond bad so the story is Jennifer who is older now and her model daughter Christina are captured by relatives of the five men who killed who she killed all those years ago so at least the story has some cohesion. Um, and so these people are all out to revenge because they don't believe that the men in their lives, whatever they were, husbands, cousins, uh, brothers, whatever they were, um, could do something so despicable that she sought revenge against them. The film is so low budget that they couldn't even spring for realistic looking tombstones for the men of the cemetery. Uh, the fake plaque in front of them says something about a messenger of Satan taking them away. When was the last time you saw something like that in a cemetery, regardless of the circumstances? So anyway, at some point, poor Jennifer is off by Johnny's wife on the steps of a church. And Johnny's wife spends half of this movie driving around with a uh, on a four-wheeler wearing khaki clothes and a helmet, uh, a khaki helmet uh, like they used to have in World War II or Vietnam. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. Anyway, she offs her on the steps and then cuts off her head. And we see her head, but it is not remotely even realistic looking. It's laughable. I laughed out loud when I saw it. And I'm not sure that was the effect they were going for. Um, so she offs her on the steps of the cemetery. And then her daughter, Christina, shows up and finds her there and screams for help. Unfortunately, not much help can be provided in this case because the woman doesn't have a head. So anyway, Christina escapes, as can be predicted if you've seen the rest of these movies. She escapes, uh, she goes into the woods, um, 
Eventually, she's found and raped by one of the yokels yet again. Um, and here's the bad part. She, it appears she's almost raped by the wife. So just when you think things can't get any worse, they really do. There's also another mentally challenged person here. Uh, seriously, they need to stop this. Um, they have plenty enough material without throwing that in. Anyway, it looks like Christine is a goner. But just then, an older couple show up and they had previously encountered her mother and given her a ride in their truck. And they beat Johnny's wife to death with some uh, rocks. Please ignore the fact that one of the stones bounces off the ground like a basketball at one point. Um, <laughs> that's pretty funny. And then the older couple say they know where her mother's body is. But poor Christina finds out when it's too late that they too are trying to kill her. I know, it never ends. Um, they show her the grave and then they go batshit cra crazy on her and start dancing around and reciting Bible verses. So they try to bury her in the grave, but she eventually gets out and takes a shovel to all of them and kills the wife. And then she makes the husband get her mom's body out of the grave and put it in the back of his truck. And then we get one last shocker, which is this dude turns out to be her grandfather. So this is Johnny's father. And he pulls out a gun and says she'll burn in hell and all sorts of craziness. And then we think he pulls out a little gun that he's going to shoot her, but nope. He shoots himself in the head instead because he says he can't live without his wife. And in the last scene of the movie, we see Johnny's adult children at the gas station looking for their mom um, while Christina drives by in the truck, the, the older couple's truck that had been dubbed Lucy. Uh, my recommendation about this movie is you should run as quickly as possible away from it. Words cannot describe how bad it is. And I've seen some really bad stuff. This is right up there. Okay, on to the trivia. Movie times. Um, movie times in these movies. Deja Vu, the one that I was just complaining about, is the longest by far at 2 hours and 28 minutes. It should have been. Well, it shouldn't have even been made uh, at, in the current state, but uh, it was just went on forever. Let's see. And then the original is one hour and something. The remake's one hour and 48 minutes. And then the other two are one hour, like 46, one hour, 35 minutes. Okay, now I want to play, despite the fact that I have bad mouth deja vu, I would like to play a little clip from that just to give you an idea. If you should watch it after I've warned you what you're getting into. Here you go. savagely beat the hell out of you and left you for dead after you seduced them and boy did you make them pay well that was nice we got to meet in the middle of the day where'd you park excuse me ma'am aren't you jennifer hill the one and only do you think we could get your autograph gladly Welcome back, Jennifer Hills. 
You made each of them died painfully. But the way you let my husband die, there ain't no way more painful than that. I'm gonna give you a preview to hell. I don't care what you do to me, but leave my daughter alone. What are they gonna do to my mother? She made a hole in my heart. What have you done with her? You're sicker than your mother! I got my mother's cheese. But I ain't got her forgiveness. Trivia uh, should come as no surprise that most of the trivia is about the original movie or the remake. So here's what I got. Uh, Zarki based the film script on an in-real-life experience. Once while driving, he encountered a girl who crawled out of a park and she'd been badly bloodied, beaten, and raped. And he took her to the police station where she was further traumatized by a cop who insisted that she give her full name, despite the fact that she couldn't because her jaw was broken. She was treated horribly, and eventually Zarki got the cop to send her to the hospital, and then later her father wrote a letter to Zarki thanking him for helping her. So that's where he got the idea for the movie. Um, this movie followed The Last House on the Left, which was released in 1972, so that is six years earlier. That deals with a similar topic, except in that one, um, some girls are raped and killed by several bad guys, and then they end up at one of the girls' parents' house who seek revenge on them. The budget of this movie was $1.5 million. Um, there is a documentary called Growing Up With I Spit On Your Grave on Tubi. It's not free, and it's by Terry Zarkey, who, of course, was involved in... Uh, a number of the movies. Um, I did not watch that. The tagline for the original movie is, This woman has just cut, chopped, broken, and burned five men beyond recognition, but no jury in America would ever convict her. And um, as we said earlier, though, there are actually only four guys in that movie. Demi Moore confirmed in her autobiography that the woman on the original poster with her back to the camera is in fact her. This movie has been banned in a number of countries over the years and it was on UK's video's nasty list. Controversy surrounded it, especially due to the graphicness and length of the gang rape scene which is uh, one of the longest in cinema history. I think it's 30 minutes long, 25, 30 minutes long. Uh, but again, it occurs over several different scenes. Roger Ebert called this movie a vile bag of garbage and said it was one of the worst movies ever made. He and Gene Siskel noted it among other movies that depicted women in danger. Ebert mentioned that he viewed the movie in a theater where people were laughing during the rape scenes and 
at least one instance, a guy near him was goading on the attackers, which he said thoroughly disgusted him. I would agree. Uh, yeah. Um, Zarki originally couldn't find a distributor, so he did it himself. The movie played several drive-in theaters, but only for a brief time. And at that point, the movie was named, um, I think, Year of the Woman? Day of the Woman. Um, and then when, in 1980, when Jerry Gross' organization picked it up, they changed the name to I Spit on Your Grave, which generated a lot of buzz and uh, made it more popular. It has also been shown under the names I Hate Your Guts and The Rape and Revenge of Jennifer Hill. Uh, the name I Spit on Your Grave was based on a 1959 French movie, which I have not seen. All four male actors asked to appear nude in the film to show solidarity with Camille Keaton, who spent much of the movie nude. One crew member quit during the second rape scene. The makeup artist quit halfway through the film. She had been gang raped, and obviously the movie uh, hit too close to home. The reason Matthew's death throes look so realistic in this movie is that the actor was terribly afraid of heights and was having a very real panic attack. The scar on the left side of Jennifer's face is real, the result of a childhood accident. It was covered with foundation during the opening scenes and then accentuated during the post-trauma scenes. The movie was submitted to the MPAA several times but rejected. It finally passed when all the references to anal rape were removed. Interesting fact, Camille Keaton is Buster Keaton's great-niece. Or wait, is it great-granddaughter? Anyway, she's related to Buster Keaton. The film has no soundtrack. They never got around to adding one. And Camille Keaton married Mir Kars... Mir Zarki the year after the movie premiered and they were married from 1979 to 1982. The 2010 remake, uh, the original, as I said, had four men. This one has fifth added to match the original poster. Jennifer was originally supposed to have a dog, but it was written out in the final script because they were out of money, and they said that the dog would end up making more money than the actors had. According to Jeff Branson, there was an outward that Sarah Butler could use in the events that the scenes were too intense for her. She never used it, but I, and watching these kind of movies, I'm always worried for the actress and how they can even deal with this kind of stuff. The film was released as NC-17 as an unrated version and then cut down to an R version so it could play in other theaters. And the actors did their own stunts except for two that the insurance company wouldn't cover and that was Jennifer jumping uh, off the bridge into the river to escape her attackers and Matthew falling down the stairs. I Spit on Your Grave 2, I don't have any trivia for. I Spit on Your Grave 3, Michelle Hurd plays a detective in this movie and also was a detective on Law & Order SVU. And I think her character was later replaced by Ice-T. You've seen her also in a number of other things. Um, yeah. 
she's she's been lots of stuff. Uh, the first film takes place in New York State. I think she says she's driven for six hours outside of New York, so wherever you can get to in that amount of time. The remake in Louisiana. The second one in New York City and Bulgaria, as I already said. The third is in an undisclosed city, and Deja Vu goes right back to where they were in the first place. I Spit on Your Grave Deja Vu. This is the first film that actually shows someone spitting on a grave. Um, and as I said, Terry um, Zarki, who is the son of the original producer and also participated in later movies and wrote the documentary, but he was also the little boy in the original movie, so Johnny's son. There's another movie that is considered the unofficial sequel to I Spit on Your Grave. It's called Savage Vengeance, and I just mentioned it here because it's strange. It tells the same basic story, except Jennifer is now in law school after having been tried for the murder of the four men and acquitted. Jennifer's friend is killed by some yokels, and she goes looking for her, is raped and escaped. Then she plans her revenge. It came out in 1992 and was directed by Donald Farmer. Camille Keaton appears in this film and is credited as Vicky Kill, K-E-H-L, and she quit before principal photography was completed. The film is only 65 minutes long and is apparently a mess. I did not see it. Uh, I've seen enough of these things, so I have no desire to see it. Zarki threatened to sue a farmer uh, because of similarities to his original movie, and this caused them to go back and dub the main character's name. The budget is listed on Wikipedia for this movie as $6,000. So they should tell you something about it. Um, and I did read that the film is set to be rebooted in 2020 and again star Camille Keaton. So we'll see. By then, maybe I'll watch it, but not now. Speaking of which, why should you watch these movies? To be honest, I'm not sure you should watch them. Uh, I just did because I'm trying to get through all the major horror franchises, and this one is consistently listed as one of the most shocking. I personally found the movies to be very difficult to watch at times, given the subject matter. I don't know of any woman who would knowingly go to the theater to watch these as entertainment. But maybe there are some. I don't know. Um, I consider this more as a cautionary tale. Uh, the topic is just too close to home for many women. Uh, obviously, we make decisions daily um, based, <coughs> based on safety. You know, should we go with someone alone? Should we go here alone? All of those kind of things. So... Um, while I, while I Spit on Your Grave is hard to watch, it deals with an important topic that, that should be discussed. I'm just not sure this is the, uh, what this lends to the discussion. It does join a group of films called uh, Rape Revenge Films. And besides this and uh, the aforementioned Last House on the left, we have Revenge from 2017 that's currently playing on Shudder, L, American Mary, Big Driver, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, etc., so what were we supposed to learn from this movie? Um, and what is this film trying to tell us? 
If you're a woman, does it mean don't go stay at a cabin in the woods alone? Uh, does it mean bring a firearm? Does it mean some men are animals? Um, should men learn that if they participate in such things, they might get their junk cut off? Maybe. Um, I'm not sure what we're supposed to learn from this movie. Uh, maybe we aren't supposed to learn anything. And if and it maybe it's just depicting a story. And that's okay because not everything has to have a moral. Um, I know, you know lots of people have written commentaries about this movie and what it means. And if it's a feminist movie, um, those sorts of things. What I took away personally from the movie is is what I already believe anyway, which is um, just because a person might seem nice doesn't mean there's some, not something bad lurking underneath and given the right circumstances that they might be capable of horrible things. Um, my suggestion is on these movies, if you're going to watch any of them, watch the original and the remake, and then also watch the... Watch 2, which I thought was very good and, and rivaled 1 in terms of quality. I will say between the original film and the remake, so between 1978 and 2010, the world was a very different place in terms of what audiences were watching on the big screen. So by 2010, we had the an entirely new subgenre of horror called torture porn, and such films as Hostel, Saw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Wrong Turn, Human Centipede, The Hills Have Eyes, etc. were a commonplace. Um, so audiences were much, much, much uh, more desensitized to depictions of violence than the original audiences were um, during the first movie. So torture porn is definitely not my favorite horror subgenre. I personally like horror where I like to be frightened, but I don't like to see people tortured, and I definitely don't like to see women raped. Um, so it's not my favorite genre, but it does exist out there. I'm hoping that its heyday has kind of come and gone, um, and that we'll move on to some more uh, psychological horror or other things, which I find much more compelling. So recipe of the week. I'm not sure anyone's going to feel like eating after watching these movies, but the only thing I could come up with was based on the word spit. And then in cooking, if you cook things on a spit, that means you cook them on a rotisserie. So I found something from the spruceeats.com, which has the 10 top uh, rotisserie recipes. So I'll put that in the notes. So there's a Peruvian roasted chicken, Bourbon rotisserie pot roast, uh, pork roast, takeout style rotisserie chicken, urban red wine, rotisserie leg of lamb, marinated rotisserie roast beef, rotisserie prime rib roast, Greek marinated leg of lamb, rotisserie turkey, uh, southwest style rotisserie pork loin, and rotisserie glazed ham. So again, I'll put those in the notes. And that's about it for this week. Uh, again, where you can find us, we're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please give us a five-star rating if you like what you're hearing. We need all the help we can get. 
We're also on Twitter at Food and Fry. Contact us by email at foodandfried at gmail.com or check us out on our website at foodandfrighteningfilmfanatics.podbean.com. That's it for this week. Again, I've already made the suggestions on which of these movies I would watch, if you're going to watch any of them. Um, And again, just a reminder, stay far away from Deja Vu. Uh, it's a, a, the only reason I would watch that is if you want to see what can go wrong with the movie because it's a mess. So that's it for now. We'll be back next week, hopefully with something much less heavy. Maybe it's a good time to check out some horror comedies instead. So until then, have a safe week, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>